Good morning. Can I tell you, it's a little awkward to come up and share after you have video about yourself. You know, I'm always, actually, I'm, I'm really always excited to share my testimony because I'm so thankful for what God has done with my life. And I'm excited and thankful to be sharing with you this morning. I'm, I'm here this morning really to deliver you an invitation. You know, it's fun to receive invitations. Uh, my wife and I have received several. We, we recently received uh, an invitation to a wedding, uh, to a baby shower. Uh, just this week, we got our first Christmas party invitation. Has anybody received any Christmas party invitations yet? Yeah, all right. Anybody put up the Christmas tree yet? You know, that's a shame. That's just a shame. <laughs> it's not even Thanksgiving yet, people. Just kidding. I think we're putting ours up this afternoon. <laughs> well, when someone invites us to something, it says that they value our friendship and they want, to, they want us to join them for a special occasion. And so when you receive an invitation, you consider who it is and, and the reason for the occasion. You, you look at your calendar and, and you reflect on your priorities and you consider the circumstances around the occasion. And then you, just, you make a decision to either accept or reject the invitation, right? This morning, I'm going to kind of Uh, Open up an envelope, so to speak, to an invitation. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that I believe Jesus wants to use to extend an invitation to you and to me and to our church family. And like all invitations, I'm asking you to consider who it is and the reason for the occasion, to look at your calendar and reflect on your priorities, consider the circumstances. And at the end of this message, I want to encourage you to make a decision to either accept or reject Jesus's invitation. What's the invite? Here it is. I believe Jesus is inviting you to join him in the kingdom work. I believe Jesus is inviting you and me and our church family to join him in the kingdom work. Before we go any further, will you pray with me? Father, I am so thankful for your love for us, and I am so thankful that you sent people in my life, kingdom workers in my life, Uh, to share the gospel with me. I'm so thankful for the fact that you rescued me and redeemed me. And uh, Lord, I I know that you want to raise up more kingdom workers in this church family. And so would you use this next half hour, would you use this message to do just that? Would you use this message to open eyes, to soften hearts, to open ears? Lord, I pray that many people in this room this morning would say yes and accept your invitation to join you in the kingdom work. Would you guide my thoughts and my words? Jesus, would you increase so that I could decrease? It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. One of the reasons why we chose this fall to study the life of Christ and and specifically to do it chronologically is we want to show the intentional strategic approach that Jesus took to building a disciple-making ministry. Sometimes we look at the Gospels as just a series of disconnected stories. But when we examine Jesus' life and his ministry chronologically, we begin to see this intentional strategy unfold, and we believe it's a model for us to follow. You may have heard us use the illustration before in the last couple of years called the four chairs. This is an illustration we borrowed from a mentor and, and friend of mine. And the four chairs are, are just an illustration to represent the four major challenges that Jesus gave his disciples throughout his life. I'll quickly review it. So the very first challenge he gave his disciples, he gave to John and Andrew, his first two disciples, and his challenge to them was come and see, come and see. And those guys were seekers, and they were seeking and they were searching for something. They just didn't realize that who they were searching for was Jesus. And I was a seeker 15 years ago. 
Uh, other, other examples of seekers in the, in, in the Gospels are, uh, how about uh, Zacchaeus or Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman at the well? All of these people were seekers and they were sitting in chair one. Some of you this morning, you're sitting in chair one. God is doing something in your life. He's drawing you to himself. You can't quite explain it, but you're here because you're seeking to discern what God is doing in your life. That's a great place to be. But Jesus didn't leave his disciples there. He raised the bar and he gave them another challenge. And the challenge was to follow me, for follow me. And, and for the next 18 months, uh, that's what the disciples did. For the first year and a half of Jesus' ministry, really, the disciples followed him. And they followed him to the wedding at Canaan. We talked about that a few weeks ago. They followed him up to Jerusalem for the very first Passover where Jesus clears out the temple. They followed him uh, out into the Judean wilderness. They followed Jesus through Samaria when he, he ministered to the Samaritan woman well. For a year and a half, the disciples followed Jesus. And they just weren't following him around for the sake of following him. Jesus was trying to impart his DNA to them. He was trying to relationally impart his character and his priorities. And for the person sitting in chair two, our, our goal is to grow in our relationship with Christ, to get to know him better, to become more like him. But Jesus didn't leave his disciples there. He eventually extended a third major challenge to them. A year and a half in, he gets rejected at Nazareth. He moves to Capernaum. He settles in and he goes to five individuals, Peter and Andrew, James and John, and Matthew. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. A new challenge. Here, he said, I want you to follow me. And when he moved him to chair three, he said, listen, I want you to help me help others follow me. And so he began training them. And we talked about how he took them on, he took them on fishing trips. He, he went to the, the synagogue of Capernaum, which is basically Peter and Andrew's church. And he went fishing there. And then he went to Peter's house, and he ministered to Peter's mother-in-law. Remember this? And he heals her. And then later that night, after that, she's healed. The whole town gathers at the door. And basically, all of Peter's neighbors gathered at the door, and Jesus ministered there. And then he goes to Matthew's house, and, and Matthew invites his tax collector friends and, and, and those sinners, and Jesus ministers to them. Here's the picture I want you to see. When Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men, he, he's training them to be kingdom workers. He's training them to go out and to make disciples. And if you fast forward to the end of his ministry, he gives a fourth and final challenge. And it's the last night he's with them, right before uh, he is a, he's arrested. He says to them in John 15, now I want you to go and bear much fruit. And in Matthew 28, uh, even after the resurrection, he gives them the great commission saying, go and make disciples. Four major challenges. Come and see. Follow me. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And go and bear much fruit. Well, the story we're going to look at today, Jesus has been saying, he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then several months after that, he chose 12 disciples to be the leaders of the movement. And then several months after that, he chose 72. And so do you see how the movement is growing? He is intentionally, strategically raising up chair three kingdom workers. And that's where we're going to settle today. Let's look at Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Just before Jesus sends out now 72 into the harvest, here's what he says to them. After, the, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We're going to focus in our time today on this one verse, Luke 10, 2. Let me repeat it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. 
It's in this passage where I believe the Lord is inviting you and I, where he's inviting our church family to join him in the kingdom work. In this verse, I want to show you three reasons why you and I should say yes and accept that invitation. The first reason I want us to see is that Jesus makes us an amazing promise. He makes us an amazing promise. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus speaks of the harvest. The first time is right after he encountered the Samaritan woman. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples go through Samaria. Jesus ministers to her. And then after the woman leaves, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Hey, man, you need something to eat. I want you to listen to how Jesus responds to them. John chapter 4, verse 32. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? This is a real bright bunch. You know what I'm saying? Verse 40, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months more until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus says to his disciples, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. See, the disciples want Jesus to eat literal food because food brings nourishment and life to our physical bodies. And that's what they were focused on. Jesus says, I have spiritual food to eat, and that food is what brings nourishment and life to my soul. Listen, the things of this world will never bring us the nourishment and life that our souls desperately long for. The disciples didn't quite understand this concept yet. And quite frankly, many Christians today still don't understand this. You and I were created by God and for God, and only the things of God will bring us the life and the nourishment we all long for. That is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. Jesus understood that, that his life's purpose was to do the Father's work, and as followers of Jesus, the same is true for you and me. But what is the Father's work? It's interesting that Jesus, uses, Jesus describes the Father's work by using an illustration of a field that is ripe for harvest. He says in verse 35, don't you have a saying it is four months, four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Has anybody ever grown up on a farm? Anybody here grew up on a farm? Raise your hand, anybody? Okay, we've got a couple of them. All right. Well, we live in the cornfields of America. It's a pretty illustration is very familiar to us. A farmer will take a, a field and, and cultivate the soil. He'll plant the seed and then water it and care for the crop as it grows. And then a farmer waits and watches for the crop to mature. And once it does, a farmer only has a few days to gather in the ripened crop before it begins to spoil in the field. Farmers will often hire as many workers as they can and even pay a high premium wage because they know that time is, as, time is of the essence. One teacher said, the harvest imagery that Jesus uses here is best understood when we hear it as a message of urgency. Jesus said that our mission, the Father's work, has great urgency, and so we must eagerly engage every opportunity to carry out his work. Strong's Concordance defines the harvest this way. The harvest is the gathering of people into the kingdom of God. The harvest is every person who ever has and who ever will confess the name of Jesus, be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, be adopted as God's child through Jesus Christ. The harvest is a gathering of people into the kingdom of God. I think Jesus wants us to see our neighborhoods and our workplaces, our schools, and our city, and our community as fields. 
Folks, we need to open up our eyes. We need to look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. My question for you this morning is, are your eyes open? Do you see that the harvest is plentiful right before you? Now, here's what that means. The harvest is plentiful. Let's just, in plain terms, it means this. It means that there are plenty of people who are ready to receive Christ and welcome our influence in their life. The harvest is plentiful means there are plenty of people who are ready to receive Christ and welcome our influence in their life. There are plenty of people in your life and in mine. There are plenty of people in our community who are ready to receive Christ and they'll welcome your and I's influence in their life. They are ready like the Samaritan woman was ready. They are ready like my friend Austin was ready this summer. Listen, this, this Luke 10-2 passage, and really this, this whole message, it's very personal for me. When I came to Christ 15 years ago, I wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. And I did for a while. But after a few years of walking with the Lord, I had stopped spending time with non-Christians. And then I entered full-time ministry. And it was January of this year that it dawned on me that I had been in full-time ministry for over 10 years. And in those 10 years of full-time ministry, I could count on one hand, the number of times I had shared the gospel with a non-Christian. In 10 years. Full-time ministry. Shared the gospel less than five times. That's not right. The Lord convicted me of that. And the Lord said, that doesn't honor me. And he's right. And so in January of this year, I confessed that as sin to the Lord, and I started repenting. And for me, repentance meant that I started doing some homework. Here I was, been in ministry for 10 years, and I found myself in January of this year searching on Google for how to share the gospel with non-Christians. And I found some tools that I could use to start sharing the gospel with greater confidence. And then I prayed, and I asked God for some opportunities, and I just started looking for opportunities to share and I can just tell you, it's been amazing what God has done in the last 10 months. Since January, the Lord has given me 16 opportunities to share the good news with Christians. 10 years, less than five. Last 10 months, 16. I've had the opportunity to share with restaurant servers. I've had the opportunity to share with people I've met at Starbucks. I've had the opportunity to share with man in my, our, a man in our own church. I've had the opportunity to share with a, with a neighbor. I've had, just last week, I had the opportunity to share with a guy at the AT&T store. At about 10.30, I went in, my phone was broken. He worked on my phone, and then as I'm walking out, he and I were the only ones in the store, and it dawned on me, oh, he's, he's going to get it. And so I turned right back around, and I went after him. And I took a few minutes and shared the gospel with him. And there's so many stories that I would love to tell you. So many stories of those last year I'd love to tell you, but for the sake of time, I can only tell you one, unless you don't mind staying until till about 2 o'clock. But I'm gonna tell you, I want to tell you the story about Austin. On Wednesday, June 14th, my family and I were outside. Paige and I were organizing our garage, and our kids were playing in the front yard, and I looked up, and two door-to-door -door salesmen walk up our driveway. My wife leans over to me and says, oh, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, these two guys came over this afternoon, and I told them to come back tonight, you talk to them. Thanks, honey. Yeah. I don't want to talk to these guys. Who wants to talk? Who enjoys talking door to door door salesmen, right? But as I walk out to greet them, 
it hits me. Be prepared to share the gospel with me. And so one of the tools I had been practicing was uh, trying to use was a conversation outline that's designed to help you turn an everyday conversation into a gospel, gospel conversation. The outline is really simple. It's this. You learn their story, ask questions to learn their story, you share your story and your testimony, and then you share Jesus' story. And so as I'm talking to these two young guys, both in their early 20s, one of the guys is doing all the talking. He's giving me his sales pitch. And as he gives me his sales pitch, I keep asking him personal questions because I'm wanting to, to learn about his story. And so we keep, we keep going back and forth for about 10 to 15 minutes. He's giving me his pitch. I'm asking personal questions. He was good. And then he asked me a question. He says, what do you do for a living? Oh, no. You done did it now. So I tell him, I'm a pastor, but I, but I wasn't always a pastor, I tell him. And then I go on to share my testimony. And one of the other tools I've been learning was something called your 15-second testimony. Learn to tell your testimony in 15 seconds. And I have just found this is a golden key that opens, door in the spirit, open door, opens doors in the spirit realm. So I'm going to give you my 15-second testimony right now. In 2001, I was lost in searching for truth. And then I started reading in the Bible. And I learned that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. And so I just received his forgiveness and started following him. And it's been amazing what he's done with my life since. Do you have a story like that? That's exactly what I said to Austin. And Austin said, well, you know, I went to church a little bit back in high school with a friend of mine, but that's about it. And so I said, well, hand me a piece of paper. And so Austin grabs a piece of paper out of his, his sales binder. He turns it over and he gives it to me. And I said, I want to show you something. And for the next 10 minutes, I shared the gospel with him using the three-circle gospel tool that I had been learning about. And at the end of it, I say to Austin, Austin, there are only two kinds of people in the world, people who are living in brokenness, living life their way, and people who are following Jesus in God's way. Which best describes you? And he says, oh, I'm definitely living in brokenness and following, following and doing life my way. Then he says, it's funny you're sharing all this with me. Just last week, someone shared something similar with me. And then I knew this wasn't a game anymore. I'm not just having fun. And so I got a little bolder. I said, Austin, I believe God is pursuing you right now. I believe he's brought you to my house for a reason. He's trying to get your attention. Austin, what would keep you right now from following Jesus? He said, oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I probably have some questions, some things I need to think through. I said, okay, would you like to have coffee together? Maybe we can open up the Bible and I can try to answer some of those questions. He said, sure. I said, oh, I've never had anyone say yes before. <laughs> so I said, okay, when? He says, how about tomorrow morning at 10 a.m.? Okay. And so the very next day, we met for two hours, and I shared the gospel with him again. And here's what I shared with him. I want, we've, we've shared this here on Sunday mornings a couple times this year. I want to share you the three circles. I want to walk you through this real quick. Here's what I said. I said, Austin, we are broken people living in a broken world, but this wasn't God's original plan. The question is, how do we get from God's original plan to this broken world? Austin, it's something the Bible calls sin. And simply put, sin is anytime we turn away from God and selfishly insist on going our own way, living life our way. Well, this separation from our creator and our source of life and, and from God's ways leads to brokenness and death, both in this life and for all eternity. Now, Austin, we mistakenly try many ways to find our way out of this broken world. We, we try many ways to find life and love in this world. But the truth is, Austin, nothing in this world is going to bring you, is going to satisfy the desires of your heart. That's bad news, isn't it, Austin? 
But the good news is this, that God loved us too much to leave us in our brokenness. And so God sent Jesus, and he came, and he lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he rose from the dead to defeat sin and death. And that is good news, Austin. But listen, Austin, the Bible teaches us that it's not enough just to know the good news. We must do two things. One, we must turn away from living life our way and turn to Jesus. That's called repentance. Number two, we must trust. We must put our faith and trust in Jesus and his death on the cross and that it paid for our sins. And the best thing happens, Austin, when we do this. Number one, we're given new life and a new identity and a new purpose. And secondly, we get a chance to follow Jesus and God's plan for our life. And so this is the simple gospel tool that I use with Austin. And I used it that night on Thursday, uh, on that Wednesday night, and then I used it again on Thursday when we met for coffee. And it just kind of this this just kind of became a study guide or a discussion guide for our conversation. I just kept drawing it out on a piece of paper. I drew it out on a napkin. Here's a picture of it. Like this isn't just a cool graphic we show on Sunday morning. This is a tool you can use, and this is the tool I used. And I just drew it out, you know, and I'm drawing it out and I'm talking through it with Austin. Where am I? Okay, so we met on Thursday. We met again on Saturday. He wanted to keep talking. He wanted to keep the conversation going. Then we met again the following Tuesday. And once again, I shared the three gospel circle tool with him. I just kept pointing him back to it, telling him, asking him, what questions do you have now? What obstacles do you have now? And then eventually at one point I said, Austin, is there anything else keeping you from following Jesus? And he said, no, I don't think so. I thought, well, I guess I should ask him. I said, Austin, are you ready to start following Jesus? He goes, Yes. I thought, what do I do now? <laughs> and, like, uh, and I thought, well, okay. And we looked at a few more scriptures together. And then Austin prayed. He prayed right there and he gave his life to Christ. And Austin's here with us today. Austin, will you come forward? Will you welcome Austin to the stage, please? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Austin's not here. Oh. Oh. I saw a guy do that at a conference a couple weeks ago and I was dying to do it. Oh. Gotcha! Yes! Oh, that's so fun. It worked! Oh, it's good. That's, some of y'all were so excited. Here's Austin. There's my friend Austin. I had Austin over to the house. My wife and I had Austin over to the house. We got some cupcakes. I wanted to celebrate for him. I wanted him to know this was a big deal. And a couple days after Austin gave his life to the Lord, he texted me. And he said, hey, could I bring a coworker by your house this afternoon? He said, I want you to share with her what you shared with me. And so he brought a young, young lady named Krishna. Here's a picture. We sat on our front porch. There's Austin on the left. There's my very pregnant wife in the middle. I didn't ask her for her permission to share this photo. I want you to know she has since had that baby. Hallie is doing great. Hallie is now 12 weeks old. We got a 12-week-old. Um, I want you to notice Zoe and Selah in the background. We're going to come back to that in a minute. And then there's Krishna on the right. For over an hour, we sat on my front porch. And see, so notice Austin has his yellow notepad out. I had Austin share the three circles with me. I said, Austin, you share the gospel. And I kind of coached him along. And we, we had an hour-long conversation with Krishna. Krishna's Hindu. And I asked Krishna at the end of that conversation. She thought she was a follower of Jesus. I knew she wasn't. And so for an hour, I very lovingly, very graciously kept sharing scriptures and asking questions. And at the end of the conversation, she came to the conclusion... Oh, I'm sitting in chair one. I'm a seeker. I said, yes, you are. And that's a good place to be. But there's a big difference between being a seeker and a follower. You need to repent and put your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you ready to do that, Krishna? And she said, no. And I said, why? She says, I'm concerned what my Hindu grandparents would think of me. 
Listen, Austin moved back to Florida at the end of the summer. He and I are staying in touch. He's found a local church down there, and he reached out to me recently to ask for my help. You know why? He wants to start a young adult ministry at his church. I don't tell you that story to somehow communicate to you how awesome I am. I tell you that story to tell you what God could do in your life. Remember, 10 years prior to January of this year, I'd shared the gospel less than five times. And I repented. And the, and the Lord has honored my repentance. And he has given me unbelievable opportunities. I tell you that story as an example of what could happen if we will believe Jesus, if we will believe his promise that the harvest truly is plentiful. And maybe God wants to do something similar in your life. Wouldn't it be great if a year from now, you were able to share the gospel with greater confidence and consistency than you ever have before? It's true of me. Maybe that can be true of you too. Well, while the harvest is plentiful, there's a major problem. There's a major problem. Look again at Luke chapter 10, verse 2. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The workers are few. This is a major problem. And this is actually the second reason why you should today accept Jesus' invitation. Because we need more kingdom workers. Our Heavenly Father wants to do a great work. He wants to gather many into the kingdom of God. Many are ready to receive Christ according to Jesus. But the problem is there are too few workers. Now, you've heard us talk about this term, kingdom worker, over the last couple of years. What is a kingdom worker? Let me, let me quickly give you a general, basic definition. A kingdom worker is someone who provides spiritual care. Just pause right there. A kingdom worker is someone who provides spiritual care for others. But they do it with a twofold goal. They do it with the goal of either helping lead the lost to Jesus... And they want to help followers grow in Jesus. That's what a chair three worker does. A chair three worker wants to help take care of chair one people and love them and show them the love of Christ, but also share the love of Christ so that that chair one seeker will encounter Jesus and begin to follow Jesus. And a chair three worker will show the love of Christ and share the love of Christ with that chair two follower to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. This is the role of a kingdom worker. A passage I think that, that paints a really good picture of this is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. In this passage, I want you to imagine that the Apostle Paul is your chair three kingdom worker. And he's writing to the Christians in Thessalonica. And as we read this passage, think of the Apostle Paul writing to people whom he provided spiritual care for. These were lost people he helped lead to Jesus, and then he helped them grow in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says this, Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well. Here's what I want to show you real quick. First, I want you to notice that the motivation of a kingdom worker is love. Love. People are not a project or a task to be accomplished. They need to be loved. And how do we love them? How did Paul love them? He shared the gospel with them. Listen, the most loving thing we can do for non-Christians is to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul shared the good news, and he helped lead them to the Lord. And then listen to, what, listen to what Paul says just a few verses later in verse 11 and 12. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Like a father cares for his children, kingdom workers provide spiritual care for people. They help lead the lost to Jesus, and they help followers grow in Christ. And they do it through encouragement, through comforting, and, and through urging people to live lives worthy of God. Many of you, many of you are kingdom workers. 
Moms and dads, when you disciple your children, you're doing the kingdom work. Guys, when you cultivate a relationship with a neighbor or a co-worker who doesn't know Christ, you're doing the kingdom work. Ladies, when you meet someone new and you invite them into your life and into your home or into your connection group, you're doing the kingdom work. Group leaders, when you open up God's word with others and you share what God is teaching you and you encourage and urge people to live lives worthy of God, you're doing the kingdom work. Whenever someone uses their gifts or their resources to love and serve others, to meet the needs of others in the name of Christ, you're doing the kingdom work. We are all wired differently. We all have different personalities. We've all been given unique gifts and a unique role to play. But all kingdom work, hear me on this, all kingdom work, should ultimately fall under one of two categories. Categories: Either A, helping lead the lost to Jesus, or B, helping followers grow in Jesus. Those are the two basic categories that all kingdom work le- leads to. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you're hearing this message, and you're like, I, I can't even imagine myself doing kingdom work. And, and the reason you say that is because you're hurting. You're hurting. You're facing some challenges in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's relational challenges, maybe it's financial challenges, maybe it's health challenges, and you're, you're hurting. And the truth is, you need someone to encourage and comfort you. Two things. Number one, keep turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the vine, we are the branch, he's your source of life. Number two, ask God to bring some people into your life that can, encur- that can encourage you and comfort you. Ask God to bring some kingdom workers into your life to help walk alongside you in this season of life. And to those of you who are ready to be kingdom workers, listen, we, need, we have people in our own church who need spiritual care. There are people in our own church. Uh, we need to help followers grow here at Genesis. And for all of us sitting here this morning who call, who, who call themselves Christians, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, you got to start sharing the good news. you got to start sharing the gospel. We have to start sharing the gospel. We have to grow as kingdom workers and start sharing the good news with non-Christians. There are approximately 2 million people in the greater Indianapolis area. And conservative estimates would say somewhere between 50 and 75% of them, 50 to 75% of them do not have an eternal life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That means as of today, Somewhere between one and one and a half million people in this region are headed to a Christless eternity in hell. Over a million people. Let that sink in for a minute. Do you know that Jesus spoke more about hell in the Gospels than he did heaven? For some of us, we need to open our eyes and see lost people the way Jesus did on a path to hell. That's a sobering reality, and it should be. And that's why I care so much about this message. Because that's my story. I was 24 years old, and I was on the path to hell. And it was by God's grace that he sent some kingdom workers in my life. And it was 15 years ago that someone actually sat down with me and opened up the four spiritual laws, a gospel tool similar to the three circles, and explained to me the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just my story. Guess what? If you call yourself a Christ follower, that's your story too. That if it weren't for your parents or or pastors or people in your life who are pointing you to Jesus, you'd be on the path to hell too. This is a sobering reality that needs to wake us up and cause us to open our eyes 
and to engage in the harvest. Listen, Jesus wants more harvest workers. So what's the solution? He says it. He gives it to us in the passage. Jesus says there's a twofold solution. Pray and engage. Pray and engage. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. The twofold solution is that we would pray and engage. Look at Luke 10, 2 again. He says this, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the third reason why you should accept the invitation to join the kingdom work, because you can help be a part of the solution. That's exciting. Yo, this is the greatest invitation you could ever receive, to be invited into the kingdom work that God is forcefully advancing on earth before Jesus returns. And Jesus says the first thing we do, the first part of the solution is that we must pray. It always begins with prayer. We must pray to the Lord of the harvest. And by the way, look at that text. Whose harvest field is it? Whose harvest field is it? It's his. Folks, you and I are living in Jesus' harvest field. We're in his field. And he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers to be sent into his field. Now, the word ask here is really kind of a weak translation. The NIV, the NIV chose the word uh, ask. But a little better translation, uh, I think a little more accurate one would be to pray earnestly. There's some translations that, that translate pray earnestly. The Greek word here uh, can also be translated as beseech. That's not a word we use too often these days. But it's, it essentially means to beg. If we understood the weight Listen, if we understood the weight and the gravity of this problem of having too few kingdom workers, then I'm guessing we would beseech and beg. We would pray earnestly and fervently for more workers. Let's unite around this prayer. Let's pray this prayer together as a church family. What could God do if our whole church started praying this prayer and begging God for more workers to be sent into the harvest fields of this community? Start by praying for yourself. Ask God to make you a kingdom worker. I started praying that a year ago. Lord, ask, use me. Use me as a kingdom worker. Pray for your kids. Parents, pray for your kids that God would make them kingdom workers. Listen, we have 150 plus kids at this campus alone every Sunday morning in our children's ministry. I don't know about you. I want all 150 of them to be kingdom workers. Parents, church family, let us not paint a picture of Christianity for the children of our church that somehow makes kingdom work optional. That is a false North American, Western view of the Christian church. That is not what the text says in the New Testament. That is not what Jesus modeled for us. It's not what Paul modeled for us. It's not what the early church modeled for us. Let us not, let us not mislead our children into thinking the kingdom work is something they could maybe do sometime in their life. No, no. The kingdom work is something they can do now. I want to show that picture again from when I was on the front porch. I want you to notice in the background, my two daughters. Zoe's on the left. She's four. And Selah's on the right. She's six. About a week after this conversation, my six-year-old Selah, who stayed there the entire hour listening to everything Daddy was saying, she came to me a few days later, and she said, Hey, Daddy, do you think you could share Jesus with my swim teacher like you shared on the porch the other day with that other lady? Listen, our kids can be kingdom workers right now. Right now, the harvest is plentiful. Let's, let's, raise up king, let's raise up our children, be kingdom workers right now. Okay, where was I? Pray for your group members. Pray for, your, pray for this church. Pray that we would pray for more kingdom workers. 
All right, now if prayer is just the first part of the solution, let me give you the second part. It's kind of two sides of the same coin. Jesus tells them to pray for more workers, and then he says, oh, by the way, you're going to be an answer to your own prayer. I love that. He says, hey, guys, I want you to pray for more workers. Okay, guess what? I'm sending you out. You're an answer to your own prayer. The second part of the solution is we must engage. We must engage. we got to engage in the harvest field ourselves. Listen, we have the greatest news ever to share with people. Let's look back at that Three Circles Gospel. This is the greatest news ever to share with people. It's good news. It's unbelievable. And as Christ followers, we get to follow Jesus and God's plan for our life. But we can't just stop there. God wants to send us back out into the brokenness. God says, no, you go. Go make disciples. Go bear much food. Go get back out into the harvest and, and rescue more people. Do for others what I have done for you, is what God's saying. My guess is many of you, if not most of us, we want to engage in the harvest, right? In fact, let's do this. I want you to raise your hand. If you've ever been in a conversation with someone, if you've ever had this experience in your life, if you've ever been in a conversation with someone and you wanted to share your faith with them or you wanted to talk to them about Jesus or share the gospel with them, but you just weren't sure how, and so it just kind of paralyzed you, made you afraid, and you didn't share, raise your hand. Yeah, right? Look around the room. We're all, this all of us. Me too. Me too. That's why we're doing this workshop on Saturday, December 2nd. We want to give you some basic tools to help you engage in the harvest. Saturday, December 2nd, we're going to do a multiply workshop. Last fall, we started a monthly gathering called Multiply. Several of you attended maybe one or more of those gatherings. At this workshop, we're going to bring together some of the tools we introduced last year that you might be familiar with, but we're bringing some new tools into. And we're, and we're providing some more intentional steps so that we can do this as a community and as a church family. We're trying to try to bring all the pieces of the puzzle together, everything we've been learning for the last couple of years. So whether you attended our Multiply gatherings last year or not, and whether you've been a kingdom worker for years, some of you have been doing the kingdom work for years, or whether this morning is the very first time you've ever even considered doing it, I want to encourage you to join us on Saturday, December 2nd. Now, before we end, let's go back to Luke 10 really quickly. I want you to see what happens when the 72 return. So Jesus sends the 72 out. They go into the harvest field. They go on this mission trip. They're probably gone somewhere between several days and maybe even a few weeks. And by the way, we're about six to nine months from the cross. So we're, I mean, we're in crunch time, right? This is it. He's only months away. And listen, look what happens when the 72 returns. It says the 72 returned with what? What's that word? I want Everybody say this together. The 72 returned with what? A little bit louder. The 72 returned with what? Listen. You want some more joy in your life? Get into the harvest field and start sharing the good news. Nothing has brought me more joy in ministry. Nothing has brought me more joy in the last 15 years, apart from my wife and kids' relationship with the Lord. Nothing's brought me more joy than sharing the good news this year in ways I've never thought that I could. You want more joy? Get in the harvest field. Start sharing the good news. Now, not only were the disciples full of joy, we're also told that Jesus was full of joy. Look at verse 21. At that time, this is when the 72 returned, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. By the way, Jesus was only mentioned as being full of joy twice in the Gospels, and this is one of them. This is one of them. He's full of joy through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, I praise you, Father in heaven. He starts praying. I praise you, Father in heaven, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned, and you revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, this is what you were pleased to do. Now, why was Jesus full of joy? Why did Jesus praise the Father in heaven? Because he was seeing kingdom workers join in his Father's harvest work. 
Imagine what that must have felt like for Jesus. Here he is over three years building a ministry, trying to get his disciples engaged in the work. And now he's got 72 who they come back and they're full of joy. And they're like, you won't believe what happened. And Jesus rejoices and praises the Father in heaven because he was seeing his vision of harvest workers, the multiplication of workers and disciples being made. I believe Jesus wants to see the same thing in our church as well. Jesus is inviting you and me to join him in the kingdom work. Will you accept his invitation? Our band's going to start playing and uh, they're going to play just a just for a minute here, play a little music. And I want to encourage you, pray right now. Have a little conversation with the Lord. Tell him. Give him an answer. Imagine that the Lord is giving you this invitation and not me. Because I, I think he is. What do you say to Jesus? How do you respond to him in this invitation? Let's, let me encourage you to just say yes. Say yes to Jesus. Let's be a church family that brings Jesus joy. Let's be a church family that causes Jesus to praise our Heavenly Father. Let's be a church family that believes Jesus and His promise that the harvest is plentiful. Let's be a church that decides to be a part of the solution of the problem. Let's be a church that fervently prays for more workers and then together engages in the harvest in this community for Jesus and His glory, for Jesus and His return. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Thank you for sending kingdom workers into my life. And I know so many people in this room have a similar story. God, would you do the same thing for us? Would you make us kingdom workers? Lord, would you send us out into the harvest field? Lord, I pray that many people right now would just pray a simple prayer of, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll go into the harvest. And God, would you do immeasurably more in us and through us more than we could ever imagine? We want to see many people come to faith and trust in you. We want to see many disciples made, and we want to see it all for your glory, Jesus.